Hello and welcome to Pedagodzilla, usually a pedagogic podcast with a pop culture core and from time to time, and purely by accident, a bit of edu-conference podcasty coveragey. In this Conference in a Pod episode, I'll be taking you along with me to the Game Changers Remix Play 5 conference at Coventry University, uh, an event that coaxed me in with whispers of mobilising change through playful practice uh, to transform education and the big old wide world. This is going to be a gentle amble through my experience of the day, and more importantly, some of the lessons I took away with me. I'll be drawing from over five hours of recording throughout the course of it, so if there's anything you'd like to hear more about, do let me know, and I can sling you a copy. Anyway, to the day. It's Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, and having given myself a good head start on the drive up from Milton Keynes on the M1, I've subsequently spent half an hour trying to find somewhere to park in Coventry City Centre. I arrived a little bit out of breath. Okay, after a lot of fun trying to park in Coventry City Centre, we're finally walking into the Frank Whittle building at Coventry University. Good golly, the Frank Whittle building was gorgeous and it had students in it. And it's amazing how much you miss the ambient study buzz of students uh, when you're working on distance learning. And up these stairs is the Remix Play 5 conference, Secret Agents of Change. And just gonna go in. Our co-host, Dr. Mark Charles, had already arrived, having had the foresight to find his parking space a whole day in advance. Hello, <laughs> right, Mark. Hello, Michael. What brings you here? Oh, Mark, how's it going? <laughs> okay, it's going fine. Yeah, stayed in the Ibis last night. It was not too uncomfortable. Um, yeah, so ready to go. Not too uncomfortable. <laughs> it's quiet and warm, and that's dark. That's all you really want, isn't it? Yeah. Comfy bed. Big night out last night in Coventry? No, no. Uh, it's quite a way out, So, and also it's not much fun going out anywhere on your own. And I think I was the only one who came down last night, or at least who stayed there. I don't know. Anyway, here I am. Yeah. So, uh, could yeah. That, uh, you could cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you expecting? Are you hoping to get out today? Well, um... Sylvester invited us down, and I went, yes, because I was sort of flattered to be invited anywhere. And it was only a couple of days ago that I looked at actually the remit of Remix play. And a lot of its focus is on development. So it's working with Vietnam, working with Malaysia, Indonesia, looking at ludic stuff, which I knew about. And that's what I, I kind of said yes about. But also it focuses a lot on frugal education. And yeah, that's something I really that I wasn't, love the concept. Yeah, well, I, 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 you know, this is what I'm here to find out about, is what is frugal education, what do they mean by it? And is it an, an actual thing, or is it just something they do? Um, oh, and the other thing um, is the techniques that people are going to be using. So that's always a good thing about anything that's based around playful learning is that they tend to embody the playful ethos in the way that they do sessions. So I'm anticipating there'll be some good playful techniques in the way that people run the sessions that I can draw upon in my own practice, Michael. Yeah, it's always nice just, yeah, it's nice meeting people from a variety of backgrounds and seeing what they're doing, because yeah. you come away with something new, don't you? And this is quite different from the usual set, I think, because it is 
a lot of it is around you know working with the global south and things like that which don't get to see a lot of uh, in the conferences I do normally go to because they tend to be UK focused UK centric so this will be interesting as well yeah Okay, so it um, looks like the first keynote is going to kick off a bit. Okay. Um, oh, Catherine. Yes, I yeah. used to work with Catherine. Mm, you've worked with everybody, Mark. Uh, yeah, that's what comes of having to move around a lot. But we did our PhDs at the same time. And we were both looking, uh, working with the uh, Second Life, that sort of stuff. So uh, working with Maggie Savin-Baden and people like that um, on the, that whole kind of virtual world stuff. So I know Catherine 10, 12 years now, so yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Eventually, one day we'll find some some known person <laughs> in education who Mark hasn't uh, well, no, I mean, I worked with or got dirt I probably on. won't know most of the people, but it'd be, it'd be weird. I feel it's weird now that if I walk into a room and I don't know at least two or three people, it feels odd. <laughs> so, and, and I don't think that's not happened today so far. I, I mean, that's not happened. I have met two or three people, but of course, that's including you, so maybe that's not quite. <laughs> right, we better get to okay, it. Yeah, so, sure. uh, yeah, okay, we'll pick up again later. Off. Okay. And then, with me desperately fumbling uh, with my microphone, trying to get it to record, uh, we jumped into Professor Catherine Wimpany's uh, kickstart to the day. Change agents help stretch the limits of what's possible. Um, and, and that in itself is engaging and inspiring. Um, and change agents encourage us all, because we all, as change agents, are then working together, creating change together. And, and I think it's, it's the way that, that we're going to talk about this today that, that I wanted to start off with just some early thoughts. Um, we've got all these wonderful people in our room. We asked you as part of your registration to tell us something about yourself maybe other people don't know. Um, things that you do that maybe are more discreet um, in your community. And, and we've had some great responses. Some of, um, but we've got autism mums who are advocates. We've got... Um, youth, youth mentors, we've got people who are training in martial arts, we've musicians, cake decorators, we've got game designers, architects, we've got people really trying to work within their communities and, and change um, situations for those less fortunate. Um, so we have an incredible group of people. For those who haven't come across game changers before, it's not just a neat idea for a conference. Uh, they sprang out of Coventry University's Disruptive Media Lab, uh, which for me rates about a four out of five in terms of lab name coolness. Uh, and that's only because it doesn't feature the word laser or, or particle in its name as well. Um, as a response to increasing demand in the university uh, for support in developing games to in turn uh, support uh, learning and teaching practice. So yeah, they put together a tentative concept for an open game design community uh, to encourage teachers and students to co-create games as part of their development. Uh, and they called it Game Changers, uh, and it stuck. Then a course and open educator resources and uh, an online community followed. And uh, like all the best indie bands, they took the show on the road uh, and then on world tour, supporting games-based learning projects uh, as far as Borneo and Malaysia. Uh, they won some awards, the Gamification Awards as well, which is sort of like a Grammy, but for, for edu game folk. And yeah, it's a it's quite a small team, but they've had a really, really big impact. Uh, and the ethos underneath it all is essentially using games to affect change. Hence, game changes, uh, which is pretty clever. It's pretty cool. 
Anyway, turns out the uh, the conference name is uh, quite clever as well. Uh, it's all about remixing current thinking uh, and understanding through play. Hence, remix play. It's quite clever. It's, they're, they're really good at naming things. Anyway, after the intro, uh, we had an icebreaker where we were challenged to present our secret identities and superpowers. Uh, and we were given some crafting materials, so of course I made a hat with a feather in it, uh, which made a lot more sense in context. Now, our mission, should we choose to accept it, was to be secret agents of change, uh, agent provocateurs connecting, collaborating and mobilising change uh, within our own contexts. And throughout, there was this absolutely wonderful little device uh, called a catchbox, uh, which was thrown from person to person with people basically being invited to, to introduce themselves. I'll, I'll gush about the catchbox more later but uh yeah we had people who were vr 3d modelers we had jam makers uh we had business history and uh, design dot connectors we had larpers teachers in marginalized community um, marginalized communities streamers and uh, many 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 more but yeah every event needs a chat box it was uh, a lot of fun I managed to very briefly snag one of the uh, the hosts of the day, Sylvester Arnab, for his take on the day, and of course introducing himself and his secret identity. Okay, so we're just sitting down with uh, Sylvester, the mastermind, mastermind, game changer, mastermind. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, he's the mastermind. Yeah. yeah. The game master, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, so. Before I get into the, the big question I want to ask, um, we were all asked to uh, introduce our secret identities. Um, what, was, what was yours, Sylvester? Well, mine was the um, Agent Walkman. Walk as in cooking in a walk, and uh, uh, a fantastic walk, and soy sauce are my sidekicks. <laughs> it's just so good, Walkman. You should have seen the pictures. I've never been more ravenous at 10 o'clock in the morning. I know. I was saying that, I'm thinking, oh, I only, had a, I only had a hash brown and a pot, spoon of beans at the see, Ibis. Yeah. See, we have stir fries for breakfast. Oh, wow. my life. Yeah. That's living. That is absolutely living. <laughs> anyway, sorry, not here to talk about delicious stir fries, although that would be a better podcast, probably. So we've just kicked off um, Remix Play Conference, uh, the one-day conference in Coventry. Uh, Sylvester, do you want to just tell us I guess, A, what the conference is, and B, what Remix Play is, what the whole kind of ethos is behind it. Well, Remix Play is a conference that we have run for five years now. So the ethos behind it is very much around reusing and remixing inspirations from play and how we can actually use that to further develop people around us or perhaps introduce change or a design new experiences that is going to be meaningful and purposeful. So um, for the first few years um, we were giving a lot of um, giving a lot of examples on how people can, can actually embed play in, in, what, in what they were uh, they are doing, whether it's teaching, whether it's learning, whether it's working with the communities. So the event uh, that we are having today is very much around using play itself in getting people to recognize who they are in the community, how they can actually exploit their interests as well as their skills and talents uh, in working with other people in the community and how change can then be driven through their shared interest or shared opportunities and shared challenges. So essentially that is what we're trying to do today to encourage people to keep on talking about who they are, discovering 
what they can actually do in the community, but using play as an instrument for encouraging them to be more relaxed and taking risks and re-evaluating who they are as a citizen in their own community really so i mean the community is definitely the aspect that's jumped out at me so far today yeah. you've collected this wonderfully eclectic bunch of people yeah. from all sorts of walks of yeah. life um and obviously as uh, as mentioned several times before mark who's met everybody in the education space <laughs> you two have worked together before yes yeah yes. yeah 10 years no wait, so many years ago. yeah 2009 i'm so young with my rather conspicuous um secret recordy the bits of the conferency day i also happened to catch uh, alex masters giving us his secret identity alex being one of the other hosts of the day um, so my agent name is agent 106 so anyone know what 106 might have something to do with so DS106, which was a, a large online community that ran from Mary Washington University many years ago. And this became a huge, huge uh, deal. And that spawned a whole lot of different uh, projects and activities, one of which was a radio station. So during the pandemic, myself and a colleague that I used to work with at university started doing a radio show on a pirate radio station. Um, but it was really exciting to do because my, my day job is sort of tech geeky stuff, I do design and research and uh, I'm a technologist by, well, origin, I guess my origin story. Um, so for me it was a great way to join with a colleague and give us something to do during the pandemic at a time when we were very isolated, you know, the whole community at the university had split off, we, we just felt like we couldn't really meet up. Note to self, must get Alex on the podcast. Then to the first talk of the day, presented by Professor Margaret Lowe, MBE, and that's a member of the Order of the British Empire for our international listeners. Basically, it's the, the whole country giving that person a thumbs up and going, poor, flipping well done. That's a big old service you've done to the national community. To Margaret. So a little bit about me. I'm Director of Outreach and Widening Participation at WMG at the University of Warwick. Margaret shared some of her experience in showing what we can do to encourage young people to see STEM as a creative discipline. Uh, the absolute highlight for me was uh, her stuff on Turtle Stitch, but uh, we'll get to that in a moment. The focus on my outreach, there's two aspects to it, and I'll go through it in a bit more detail, but basically we're passionate about STEM, engineering, computer science. My own background is computer science, um, so that's the subject I feel most confident in. Um, widening participation is really about increasing participation in groups that are underrepresented um, in our professions. So that's something that's very close to my heart um, and it's something that I feel very strongly about. And actually, for all the work I do, that is the key focus. Okay? So it's all about encouraging people. Um, raising awareness of STEM careers and finding their roots into being part of our, our workforce. Um, our work is mainly with schools and community groups and families, so we work in a variety of different settings. Um, the final thing is, is building the capability of our staff and students, and that's what I call in-reach. 
And that's something that I think is quite important as well. And I try to sort of balance our activities so that 80% of our activities are in the community or in schools. But I think there's a key here to doing the in-reach as well. And that's about spending the time to tell people in our department, our staff and our students, why it's important that we do these things. So I try to do a sort of 80-20 split. Um, and I encourage my team to do the same because in-reach is how you're going to gather more agents of change. And in my department, we're a really big department, there are 800 of us, it's a huge department. Um, but out of that, last year, 91 members of staff came and worked with us and did outreach. So for quite a busy bustly department, 91 people taking time out to come and help us with an event, lead an activity, I think is a great ratio. Um, not that we're sitting in our laurels, I'm, we're still doing in-reach because it's about keeping on going. There's a slide here, you may need to use your okay. imagination. So this here is a map of Coventry and the surrounding area. And I've mapped on there a database called the Polar 4 database. And this is something that university uses. If you've not come across it before, it's based on postcodes. It was a survey a few years ago. And it shows you how likely young people are to go into higher education from different postcodes. Um, and you can see here that there's some bits of our area, the, the blue bits, where there's a lot of young people likely to go to university. But there's also some bits of our city and the surrounding areas where it's very unlikely those people, those young people will go to university. And I think it's interesting to reflect on that because Coventry is a city with two universities. We're in the Midlands where we can travel to lots of other universities nearby. And yet we've got this huge divide. Education is important in our city. It plays a big role in the city. And yet we've still got this horrible divide going through our city and the surrounding areas in North Warwickshire. So if you like, that's my key mission, if you like, that I want to sort of tackle and change. Um, Right, so that's part of my role, if you like, and that's all our activities that we do with schools is focused with this is the background. The other area is about challenging perceptions of engineering, STEM careers, computing careers. And so one of the things I'm really keen on doing is finding creative aspects of these to challenge people's preconceptions. Because we've still got Young people have still got ideas of preconceptions about what engineering is, what computing is. There's a lot of programmers eat pizza and sit in basements, but there's a lot of programmers don't eat pizza and don't sit in basements. And it doesn't matter which part of that tribe you're in, but it's just important that young people know there's a range of options for them. So I'm always seeking to challenge those stereotypes. Okay, so how many people know Scratch? Have you come across Scratch? Yes, quite a few you have. Scratch is a programming language. I teach programming languages at Warwick a lot. That's kind of my area. Um, but 
get in a programming language like Java, C++, whatever it is, to create music, to interact with you, to do visual graphics, it's quite a big job to do. It's quite hard to do enough coding in a few weeks to do that. So when MIT launched Scratch, I just kind of lost myself in it. I came across it in 2007, and I just knew this was something that would appeal to young people and would be a way of raising an awareness of how creative computing could be. So people use it to create stories, games, animations, and it's just off the scale in terms of creativity. The other, so, so it's a language, but the other thing that MIT realised was it's a community. And this links back to the title of my talk, Community. And they realised that programmers, if you're a Java programmer, you go and hang out with other Java programmers online. There's places where people gather. So MIT very quickly introduced an environment to Scratch so that the Scratch community could hang out together and share ideas. And that was such a wonderful thing to watch. And I spent a lot of evenings on the Scratch website looking at what people were doing. Have people come across the meme, Caramel Dancing? It's an old one now, isn't it? Caramel Dancing. It was going around 2007, 2008. It's music, it's dancing. Um, if you know it, we might ask you to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, so it, was, it was going everywhere in all the different communities. And the Scratch community is exactly the same. They weren't going to be left out. So there, was, there were... Um, a, this has started to appear on the website. Now, just before we play it, I'll just explain what you're going to see. You're going to hear caramel dancing. You're going to see animations on the screen. One child, young person, started this off on the Scratch website. They uploaded it. And they said to the people, add your own eight seconds of animation and share it. So lots of children downloaded it, added their animations, and uploaded it. So you're going to see a work done by a group of young people who've never met each other, but who've all cooperated and created this sort of fantastic result in Scratch. So we'll just play it. It can be a bit loud, hopefully. Hopefully it's nice. <laughs> I'll spare the entirety of it, but uh, needless to say, it's quite energetic. having fun. They're all ages. Some of them were doing proper animation and importing it into Scratch. Others were just doing what they could. So I just saw this and I just thought this is such a creative application. Um, so I set about trying to get it into schools. Um, one of the challenges is no matter how many workshops I ran for teachers in primary and secondary schools, a lot of our teachers don't have a confident IT background. Um, they've got very strong backgrounds in maths, physics, chemistry, whatever it is, 
but they weren't particularly confident in coding. So no matter how many things I did, it's been difficult to build confidence. So in 2008, I set up this group of, fantastic group of students. It's called the Warwick Technology Volunteers. And what they did was they went into classrooms and ran workshops for schools, mainly primary schools, but we did do some secondary schools. And the idea is that teachers saw it working in their classroom with their kids. They saw the engagement. Even the troublesome kids, that quite often if they come to Warwick, they leave the troublesome kids in school. They don't sometimes bring them on a school visit. Even the troublesome kids were getting engaged. It got strong engagement. So this was set up in 2008. And since then, they've, they've kept on going. They've kept doing things. Um, the key thing is that they've enjoyed it. So they've become agents of change. They've really enjoyed, they got a lot out of it. Some schools, we only went in once, and the teacher went, I can do this and they carried on doing stuff. Other schools quite liked the contact with the university, so they came back and forward, and we've been going in for over 10 years to some schools, except during COVID. Um, but they're up and running, they're doing things. A lot of these things are either teacher training events or public events. So we used to go to the Mozilla Festival in London and run workshops there. So there's a whole range of workshops they've done. But the key thing for these students is they go into schools um, and they run workshops. They take a team approach. We never send them in as individuals. We always send them in. And every workshop they run, they think about who's most confident, who's least confident, and they give each other jobs to do to try and develop each other. So they're all about developing each other and their skills. So fantastic group. I've worked with many different students and it, they've been lovely to work with. We started to realise, me and the students, how engaging physical computing was. So we started to look at what we could do with Scratch and we bought a whole set of Scratch sensor boards um, and started connecting things to it. And that's when the world started to get a bit strange because we built all sorts of weird things. So on the top left is a water bottle with two pins in it. And if you tilt it, you connect a circuit. If you tilt it back, you break the circuit. So we started to build sort of kitchen sink science stuff as sensors. Now, you quickly start to build these things and you realise why industrial sensors cost hundreds of pounds and are reliable. <laughs> Whereas our sensors, you were lucky if you went to an exhibition, they survived a day. Um, my favourite has to be Box It. So this is Box It. Have you played... Oh, have you played Bop It? Yeah. Well, that Box It was our version. And it had a tilt sensor on it, it had something to twirl, it had a button to bash. But it got destroyed so many times. It was almost like a production line, keeping it going. Um, but it was fun. So we've had a lot of fun. We even made a dance mat, which, again, was sort of running repairs the whole time. Um, 
So that's the sort of physical computing side, and me and the students co-created this and have shared it as widely as we um, could, teachers' conferences and stuff. So my next venture into physical computing has been Turtle Stitch, and it's programmatic embroidery. So we did for a while a lot of outreach using 3D printers in schools, teaching young people CAD using Tinkercad. But one of the big problems we had was stitching, it's sorry, stitching, was printing all the young people's work. Because you can't print a classroom with teach, uh, children's work. It's gonna, you're going to come back and spend two days in the lab printing it all out. So we needed something that was quicker, and that's when we hit Turtle Stitch. I did a workshop in Turtle Stitch in 2015 in Amsterdam and absolutely loved it. So I came back and managed to get hold of an embroidery machine. Embroidery machines and 3D printers, they're kind of about the same price in terms of cost. But you don't need a technician to run your embroidery machine. You can take it to a local machine, um, sewing machine shop to get it serviced and one machine will easily do a school. So it's, it's much easier to use. So this is Turtle Stitch. It looks like Scratch on the left-hand side. And if you just click the video under the, you'll see it being stitched. So the pattern here is made up of triangles. And you wouldn't, look at, you wouldn't see that um, from the final result. But when you see it stitching, you can see it's, it's made up of triangles. And this was a year six student that did this pattern. Okay. Turtle Stitch, what could we do? Coventry was City of Culture 2021, which was a fantastic opportunity to link to the history of Coventry. Coventry's history, if you're not aware, is textiles, in particular ribbons and designer ribbons. So that was Coventry's specialist. So we set up the Stitch in Time project, and that was working with local primary schools. Um, it links functional maths, computing, design and technology, and links to culture, because the patterns we have on our clothing, the patterns we have around us and textiles all link to our culture, the local cultural references. Here you can see the work of the young people. Children created a pattern on their themes. Some schools used cogs and wheels to refer to industry. Others picked on the spires we have in the city. So there was a range of different themes. Um, and then the class created a piece of work to display. So you can hear, there was, see, there's a piece quilt from a school, a display, and do you know about Delia Derbyshire? Yeah? She was um, an electronics music composer in the BBC's Radiophonics Workshop, um, and she composed the Doctor Who theme tune. So one of the schools that slipped in, it wasn't a local school, it was in Derbyshire, picked Delia Derbyshire, <laughs> and this is their Doctor Who scarf, and you might be able to spot a few pictures of Daleks in there. So the children were coding Daleks, working out the code to do that. It, it was just brilliant to have that. I was really enjoying Margaret's drive to draw more young people into STEM. Um, and just reminding them that it's not all sitting at desks and measuring things and beavering away at spreadsheets. It's all about, you know, using the tools that you have in your environment to creatively solve 
the problems in front of you and doing that in a, in a fun way and adding optionality into it so that you know those STEM activities allow students to bring more of themselves and their own lives, their own contexts in. Margaret gives her recipe in a minute of lessons learned and uh, I'll pick up on the themes that it uh, discusses in a bit, but it's, uh, yeah, it's one of my big takeaways for the day. I'll leave it to Margaret though, she says it much better. I try to keep to this sort of creativity, context and community because I think this is a little bit of a recipe. Um, if you look at creativity, it's what makes an activity enjoyable. Did you enjoy messing about with the pieces in front of us and making things? We, it's something inside us quite often. Um, so creativity, creative activities are really useful and particularly in STEM. A lot of STEM activities are what I call A to B journeys. You get this bit of equipment, you do this, you do that, and that's it. There's no option in what you can do. So I'm always looking for activities where young people can bring what they want into that activity. And I think that's really important, creativity. And that's what turtle stitch exceeds in, because you can, you can just do what you want with turtle stitch. The context, people care about different things. There's different passions, there's different things move them. So it's important that, that what you're doing is relevant, can be put into different contexts. And from what I mean is, um, somebody might care about space exploration. So if you're doing an activity with a robot, maybe setting it in Mars, a trip and moving about the surface of Mars might appeal to some young people. But if you take that same robot and put it into a home, into a house setting, to be an assistive technology robot to help people you know, do daily tasks, that has got a different appeal. It'll, it'll appeal to a different group of people. So I think thinking about the context and being able to give young people the opportunity to put task and activity into different contexts that they care about is another way of engaging young people. I think it's really important. The final thing is community, and I've seen this time and time again. Community is a source of inspiration and support, and I think Catherine mentioned some of these things in, in the introduction she gave. Um, community is where we can generate new ideas, um, so I think it's really important to work towards building a community. We're always much stronger working as a team. So I always encourage people to reach out to sort of other groups and try to sort of widen. It's not just about them, but they've got a community of people about them. And that's what I'm working with in my department, building a community of people that will go and do outreach with us. I'm only one person. I can only do certain things. If I can enlist people to give me an hour of their time here, half a day here, I can widen our activities and get a, a much range, make much more impact on the disadvantaged in Coventry and in the surrounding areas. Creativity, context, community. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that one in a bit, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a real doozy. Margaret rather stylishly ended her inspirational talk on a threat. We can do a bit more caramel dancing if we've got some spare time, um, but thank you.
then we stopped for a little break. And it's my hats off to whoever at Coventry was doing the catering because they had a selection of fresh baked cookies. And oh my lord, they were off the hook. Uh, I had an oatmeal-y one, I had a chocolatey one, I think there was an orangey one in there somewhere. Uh, it's in no way relevant to the retelling of this conference, but uh, I said I'd give you a flavour of the thing. Did I say I'd give you a flavour of the thing? I hope I did. Anyway, they were great cookies. Uh, next up was a panel discussion uh, showcasing case studies from the ACES project uh, in Indonesia, Malaysia and Vietnam, as well as some uh, local charity work driven by Crosshair Coventry. Um, I'll pick up that theme, by the way, of uh, creativity, context and community after this. First of all, we have Shoba Naki Taylor from Crosshairs Coventry. Deliver the concept in esports as well. So it's at level three. Um, so 
pre-university level. Um, and just to give you a bit of an overall in terms of the skills that we've allowed people to develop through that charity event, there was a lot of transferable skills. So just because you do something within eSports, it doesn't mean that you have to do something in eSports because other job roles in other industries will allow you to learn about communication skills, teamwork, leadership, strategic thinking, problem solving, decision making, and multitasking on top of that. Um, and then as part of the charity event that we ran, um, the job roles that we had were two hosts, uh, me being one of them. Uh, we had one production manager, and we had an observer, a production director, and six shoutcasters, and then 29 players um, that were from Coventry College and Western College as well. So that's the talent announcement um, graphic that we had. Um, and the event was praised by British Esports, who said that running a show match between their first esports teams to raise funds was a huge success. Um, we live streamed on Twitch. Um, we had a lot of people from our community sort of talking in chat, hyping everyone up. Um, it was a really good experience, and that's something that I want to continue doing. It's something that's really important um, to me, and the fact that we've got such a diverse range of people that were working alongside this charity event as well. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my project that I've been working on. So, thank you. Just to add, because Shubna didn't mention that she was awarded the Top Educator of Game Hers Awards last year, so many congratulations. Top Educator. So next up we had Dr Dominic Mahon introducing some of the ACES projects. Uh, ACES is a kind of uh, a model for applying play in communities, but uh, I'll let Dom do the talking for this one. Oh, called him Dom. Seems a bit over-familiar, but uh, Dominic. Dr. Dominic. There we go. Honorific in there. Anyway, Dr. Dominic Mahon. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm going to try not to talk for five minutes, which means I'll probably talk for ten. Um, yeah, basically, uh, you see ACES is written up on an awful lot of stuff here. To very, very quickly explain, ACES is a UKRI-funded project. Um, which was aiming to, and it's coming to the end now, aiming to build resilience in communities through playful approaches to learning. And what came out of ACES is a series of case studies in partner countries, which are Vietnam, Malaysia, and Indonesia. And taking this idea of change, I mean, what we saw was how universities can work with communities to instigate change um, on lots of different small levels. So what you'll hear from uh, colleagues from Indonesia and from Malaysia and from Vietnam are examples of these case studies where universities work with NGOs, with local communities to instigate change, to make things happen. And sort of, uh, it became much more than I think any of us expected. I think that would be fair to say. Um, and a model has emerged from that, which we're writing up now, which we're hoping will allow um, other institutions and communities to work together to build teams that will uh, be able to tackle local problems of communities and sort of harness the, the knowledge and skills of the university, 
apply it to work with the knowledge and skills in the community to solve problems and hopefully make universities a bit more relevant to local communities. So I'm going to pass over now. I don't think that was five minutes, I hope not. First of the ACES set was the Indonesia team. Hello everyone, good morning. Good morning and good evening everyone. <laughs> Indonesia side for uh, my name is Fadli and my partner Aldi. Uh, we've been working together with the Coventry University colleague. Uh, and it's a pleasure for us to work together as a team because, uh, you know, achieving synergy is a big lot of work. And of course, uh, we've been working with the Malaysia, Vietnam, and of course our side with the stakeholders uh, from the NGO, uh, our university, and of course, the uh, government from local to the national levels. So uh, today, uh, this is the day that we are, uh, we've been dreaming for to come to the UK. It's an honor to work with the, my uh, glorious professor Sylvester and Professor Catherine. And uh, I would like to uh, pass my friend Aldi, please. Hello, everyone. It's my first time going <laughs> to the UK. It's so cool <laughs> than in Indonesia. Um, so yeah, as uh, Fadli mentioned that uh, we have working uh, with brilliant colleges and this is my first too about the international project and well, it's like dream comes true for me. And then yeah, uh, the SS project itself is um, like uh, my roadmap and my milestone in or research as well, and so it's preaching about the informal and formal sector, and I'm uh, basically in economic subjects. So yeah, it's really amazing to be here, and it uh, means a lot for me. Yeah, thank you. But, and, and of course, we are investigating, uh, like uh, you can see the information that uh, for informatic education uh, by using a very frugal and playful methodologies and starting from uh, primary to secondary schools in Indonesia between the formal, informal, and informal context. Of course, uh, we've been working with the marginalized communities and the disabilities communities. And some of products by ASSES, uh, as you can see, this pattern is made by disabilities people in Indonesia and volunteers help them to sell and to promote to the broaden areas and and how fortunate we are because some of their product has been sold to the Fargo Fields at Coventry. <laughs> and where we go with the key stakeholders uh, with the government and then uh, uh, with the British Council to the DAS project, DAS digital project is one of our, you know, it's like a step further project uh, by the artists and our communities in Indonesia. And some of outcomes you can see at the slides is our uh, assess corner. It's, it's like a, a playful and frugal uh, corner for children and communities. They can play for free. And this is uh, much, you know, it's like very useful during the pandemic because uh, during pandemic, we have a lot of, you know, uh, limitation. We can go to school, etc. So we do use the uh, access corner to teach the children how children like STEM and then math and etc. The second is, uh, uh, like Dom mentioned about the ACES in some model, uh, 
including a second as learning space and focus training. The third is volunteer training, uh, where we have been working about 10 until 11 workshops with uh, teachers and volunteers in Indonesia. And the fourth is, uh, yes, volunteer as agent of change. It is hopeful that we are, because we are working with the very talented volunteers, and, and, they didn't, and they didn't get any money. <laughs> and I think this good experience is working with the volunteers. And the last is, of course, uh, this responds to the curriculum transformation. We can uh, absolutely recommend our assess model to the, our local government and national uh, government for the curriculum transformation. That's all, Catherine. Thank you so much. Next up, the ACES team from Vietnam. Hello from Vietnam. I'm Tom Tom from the ACES Vietnam team. And it is our Lunar New Year now in Vietnam. And we are celebrating our tech holiday with nice weather, beautiful flowers and good food, and reunion with family members. It's a pity that I cannot join you now in the UK for the remix play. But I do hope that you will enjoy the play, the remix play, as much as I'm enjoying our Lunar New Year. And uh, talking about a key motivation for our project, for my uh, engagement in the project from the starting point, I would say that it, uh, it was uh, my curiosity personally, my confusion about the community-based educational model. I'm a key researcher and also a teacher educator. But I also went, I was also wondering about the definition of community and the approaches to facilitate the youth and the teachers in Vietnam to engage in both formal and informal education for developing social resilience through play. I mean through playful and frugal learning. And another key motivation key motivator for me personally was the support from the ASEC team, um, not from the, the UK, not just from the UK, but also from our uh, friends from Indonesia and Malaysia as well, and the support from our institutions and affiliated institutions and the local authority. And uh, these key agents have participated in our project from the beginning. And until now, they help us to develop our Vietnam access model. And we call it playful school. And we follow the three aspects of the access. That, that is playful aspect, frugal STEM, and co-creation that Catherine and the team will help explain to you later. So we have three, um, we, we call it the three columns in, in our project, in, in, the, in, um, uh, in the outcome of our project, where the stakeholders can develop themselves to be the change agents. So we co-created co and co-developed the research and also the pedagogical approach uh, based on a green playground as a playful learning space in alignment with curriculum transformation in Vietnam and secondly, uh, we aimed at the playful and frugal STEM approach and the, the teaching of local education subject 
with the maintenance and promotion of the minority language and culture here, the Mueang language and culture in Hobing province, via a series of teacher training, the design thinking workshops, gamification events, showcases, and hackathons. So therefore, we could co-create uh, toolkits for teachers and teacher students. And um, we, uh, we can come up with uh, several evaluation programs that can help teachers to design an activity and then they know how to evaluate the, the activity based on frugal and playful aspects. And through these things, we conduct cascades training. So by cascades training, our master trainers and the teachers, we worked together uh, about for about two years and we we went on delivery training to teachers in other areas as well so through cascade training we have found out our champions and our access ambassadors and in this way our, in this way our ambassadors can develop themselves and they can provide professional development to others and uh, thanks to which teachers become more aware of the model and they are ready and willing to apply the model and they respond to changes beyond client. And finally, the ACES Malaysia team. What do we do is uh, ACES Malaysia, we actually uh, focus more on sustainable development goals in our project. Uh, we use it as a principles to empower youth, women, communities, and providing them with knowledge, skills, and change of behaviors to think sustainably. So we focus a lot on climate change issues, uh, as well as financial literacy and well-being uh, that focus more on women. We came up with the ACES STEM bucket uh, program that encompasses of, uh, activities uh, for the school children, also uh, what if uh, reflections um, for the students, uh, frugal items that are contained as well within the box, and uh, challenge cards. We have also prepared a facilitator toolkits to use as a guide for teachers or even parents. We have also produced the ACES STEM Market Program, ignite from the idea and desire to make STEM subjects a lot more fun and enjoyable for students, as well as youth, parents and teachers, by transforming everyday household objects into fascinating and exciting STEM-based projects that students can work on with teachers and peers. As for the teachers' training, we've worked with uh, teachers' ministries that focus more on playful cooperation methods to create a fresh perspective of project-based learning, experiential learning approach for developing uh, learning competencies and motivation in line with the uh, 5E learning models and also being frugal. So our main key stakeholders uh, are the teachers, the youth, the students, and general public. We also work with uh, officers, of people in charge, the Ministry of Education, Teachers Training College, and see how we can collaborate uh, in building more content for the teachers in schools. 
Uh, these people are very important, uh, especially officers. So they can be the one who makes changes uh, in terms of policies. Uh, as for the general communities, uh, we make sure no one is being left. We focus a lot on um, school children because they are the next generation that will take over to take care and maintain their community and their areas. So how are these key participants uh, become agents of change? They will continue working on this. Um, we built them as well to become local champions within the community, uh, strategize a way to create a Jurulate Utama, which we mean training the main trainers, okay, teachers trainers, but the main trainers and facilitators for the STEM bucket program. This is mainly in schools uh, with the teachers and the officers in charge. And within the community, we work closely with the local champions, build them, uh, also pass down all the knowledge that we have and continue uh, bringing in more projects uh, to get them a lot more excited with um, yeah, running all these. So that's it uh, from me and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Thus, the Agents of Change panel discussion followed. And yeah, it really meshed well with uh, Margaret's earlier talk, uh, cementing that central theme to the day, which is Agents of Change and uh, applying creativity in your own chosen context, building a community, and then using that community to, uh, to affect and uh, leverage that change that you're after. It's all creativity in context and community and, yeah, change. There's a really good bit here, actually, from the, uh, the Q&A session that followed. It's about play as a language for change. I'll, uh, I'll just dip you in now. Who can talk to us a bit more about when you're working with community? How is play viewed as a language for change? Um, yeah, I, I, it's a difficult question, I think. Um, play as a language. I, I, I think it's just play is a, a, a nice... On one hand, it's, it's a really nice way in because it's, uh, you know, everyone plays. Mm -hmm. I think when you... Uh, we, we get worse at it as we get older. Um, and it gets taken away from us in the education system, I think. But it's something that everyone has at least had experience of. And, and as you look around at the tables in front of you, it's, uh, for me anyway, it's very difficult not to fidget and muck around and play with stuff. It's, and, and I think that's good. And uh, you know, so in that sense, nice things come out of it. Um, the flip side of it is I think that a lot of institutions and universities and communities don't take it seriously. So, uh, you know, the idea of just playing. Um, and I, when you said, oh, you, you just sit there playing games, and there's, there's a very sort of pejorative uh, spin to it. They're like, oh, it, it's not serious. <coughs> and um, like one of the little bits of research that we did uh, sort of within our partners was on um, what, what sort of things, what, what the hooks were. And one of the things that came out of it was the frugal element transferred very neatly Everyone liked that, like the parents liked that, the institutions liked that, the communities liked that. The play, not so much. And uh, it was, it, there was like a resistance to this idea that play can be, you know, useful and motivating and interesting and developmental. So, yeah, on one hand, great. On the other hand, I still think there's a job to be done to, to change attitudes towards, you know, the, the sort of utility of play, which is, you know, really universal educational thing that for some somewhere along the line as a society we, we messed up. <laughs> Thank you, Dom.
bringing a few thoughts together around play and community and yeah, the things that have been talked about so far. So using play to grow a community and lend the weight and energy of that community towards an idea seems like um, quite a no-brainer when you when you put it like that. But uh, it did actually prompt me this, you know, these discussions to look back at some of my own creative endeavours uh, and work-based endeavours, um, and just kind of yeah, I guess really brought brought home for me a bit of a sort of blinding flash moment um, that the determining factor between the ones which had landed, been successful, and those which hadn't were almost entirely down to whether or not I'd, you know, really engaged with the community around them. I mean, there's probably some fancy change management methodology thing underneath all of this with acronyms like uh, ADCAR and Dog Biscuit or, or whatnot. But um, f- but for me, the focus on community is the central piece that everything else hangs off. It's where you bounce your creativity off the problems you face, um, you're bouncing them off one another, you're rounding off the vision of what you'll do, and you're building up your understanding of who you're doing it for. And then when the time comes for action, you've got stakeholders who are in the same headspace as you. Then you're working together and you're bringing yourselves into it in a playful way. Play, I think, is the big way you draw it all through. You make it so that it's playful and engaging because people like doing playful things. And then, yeah, that that makes things happen. I am likely massively oversimplifying uh, all of this here. But yeah, that was my my little aha moment from, uh, from Remix Play. And yeah just reflecting back that there's been a number of times where I've set off half-cocked very much on my own, uh, done something, and then wondered why it didn't land. And yeah, community. Bam. Anyway, then we went to the uh, table discussions where we shared our secret weapons as agents of change and bounced some ideas around the table. One of the best things that came out of our little table discussion was uh, this concept of Jugard in education. Uh, it's a uh, colloquial uh, I think sort of Hindi word Um, but it means kind of being frugal and hacky just kind of you know bodging together uh, a thing to to solve a problem a quick fix for a workaround Um, and yeah just as a as a an approach to teaching it uh, really 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 landed just right for us on the table and we ended up talking about that for a while Uh, I think I've got a little clip of it here I was to glue it together it would be like a bunch of people have done hacks or jugard and then there's a podcast episode about each one interviewing them about how it works and maybe interviewing a kid and the difference it made I really like those books over there in the corner where they had some like STEM projects and it was all like what you could make at home it's called Aces um, and it was like a learning about force and they'd made a plastic water cart and it was all stuff that you could just do at home with everything that you had there was a show that she used to watch it so science related stuff so kids doing experiment and something similar coming up with models which actually work it's really cool literally things I think apart from just that I have a feeling that uh, imagine such projects presenting those and performing those as alumni recent alumni maybe because a lot of this I remember having conversations with you know, these alumni that would just drop down and an year worth of experience, the, all the struggles, would literally be sorted with 10 minutes of conversations with, with this region alumni. He would have, he or she, I mean, she would have these, these tricks, these tips that the professors would never give to us. And in terms of learning, 
assessment, task completions, a lot of that would really help. And it was most mostly just the commu community sort of a thing. It was just a discussion-based thing, which I haven't honestly seen happen. There's a lot of professional presentations that successful alumni would come down to later give us, but their private experiences aren't really shared. So that could also, you know, these activities brought on by these alumni. Sort of what would success thing. look like to our group? I guess like if people go try the things and then just feedback that like, hey, I tried it, it works, thanks. That would be like the impact that the, the teachers do. The teachers or the kids? What do I we want? I, we want the kids' feedback. Or adults. I mean, if it's like life hacks for being an adult and stuff as well. It's not just formalised education. Ended up talking all the way through lunch, which would have been a complete disaster. But anyway, dashed across, grabbed a quick sarnie, and then uh, plonked myself down next to capable co-host Mark to catch up with uh, his thoughts on the day so far. So uh, it's lunchtime. It's mm -hmm. lunchtime. Um, I've just had a cheddar ploughman's bag crispies. Ah, okay. And egg and cress. Egg and cress. Yeah. Pro choice. Pro choice. Oh no, hang on. Can't say that because no, no, it's all right. Nobody will know that I ate egg. What? Are you not allowed to eat egg? <laughs> no, I'm not allowed to eat egg. What? <laughs> I'm supposed to be vegan. Are you? According to my wife, I'm vegan. Yeah, oh. as far as she knows, I'm vegan. But she never listens to these podcasts. Anyway, oh, I don't think so anybody does. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, how's it going with you uh, halfway through the day? Um, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I ended up sitting on a really interesting table. Um, so. Uh, the, as I predicted, there were some interesting, engaging activities that we did. So, um, you know, representing ourselves through Lego or hats and masks and the, the idea of us being secret agents for change and things. So that's all pretty neat. Um, I came up with my secret agent name eventually. Um, so, um, yeah, um, the keynote was good. I happened to work with the key, the other keynote as oh, well. I remember. Hell, Mark. <laughs> Is there anybody you've not worked with? <laughs> no, but um, Margaret, um, Margaret Lowe is really interesting. She was talking about um, uh, outreach to with STEM and things like that. Mm. Um, I've got a head around my head around. Um, uh, what frugal education is now from the panel session. Yeah, really liking the whole concept of that, um, particularly coming from a university environment where it often feels like, hey, we've got a good idea about making things fun and engaging, and then the response is, great, can you do it for nothing? Yeah, well, or the danger is often, okay, we'll chuck a lot of money at getting it started off, and then the money runs out, and there's no more equipment, and so it all falls apart. Do you know, I've often heard, um, I've heard this said a few times, it's sometimes easier to get a million pounds than it is 50 quid. Yeah, and also, well, it, it's easy to get 50 quid year on year on year than it is to get a million quid year on You know, it's, yeah. what you need is a project that you can start off and keep going with no extra money coming in. Yeah. And the idea of frugal STEM was, let's find rubbish, let's find stuff we've got in our homes. So Margaret's doing that with the students around Coventry. And then the people in uh, Vietnam and Indonesia and Malaysia are doing that with their communities so it's like let's get some tires or let's find some scrap and and building little experiments out of things that you know are going to would be disposed of otherwise and yeah, that it's good education good education but also good project management because it means that once that that you don't need initial setup costs that actually it's sustainable not just sustainable in the terms of um 
you know, environmental work, for use of the word, but sustainable in, in the project management, sensing yes. that it will carry on going when you walk away because they're doing stuff with nothing. Yeah. And that's, that's a really neat idea. It does, uh, yeah, it, it threw an interesting uh, kind of question for me around um, this sort of perception of uh, different quality education around the world, like kind of educational hierarchies. And I was thinking, you know, this sounds like a much better education than sitting in some very expensive uh, lecture hall getting uh, PowerPointed to death. Like, this sounds like a significantly better um, and more beneficial learning experience, just as an approach. Well, and also, you know, that works for higher education, but most people don't go into higher education. Um, sorry, I noticed the scowl because I'm swiveling on my chair. No, no, oh, sorry. No, I, I've got one of those faces. I'm sorry, people are <laughs> scowling. Like... It's because there's so few features um, on my face going on above the eyebrows that uh, unfortunately draw. So, um, yeah, so, and you know what? The, the one We live in a post truth world where you know, no one's. Uh, where, where one of the biggest problems we faced, and I mean, it became really evident during the, the lockdowns and COVID and stuff, was that the lack of knowledge about science isn't an academic thing. It's that the, because people, a lot of people aren't getting to grips with what real stuff is and what real evidence is, we're faced with a situation where people can just make up any old stuff and people are as likely to believe that as they are to believe, you know, STEM people. And so if you can increase the level of knowledge of everybody to this is how you do test out. You have a theory, test it out. You can test it out with the stuff you find in your kitchen or on the street or whatever, mm. on your playground. This is how you do an experiment. And this is what reality is, positivist kind of interpretation, epistemology is, is this sort of stuff. It kind of grounds people in reality a bit more. I mean, that's the theory, that's ideally what will happen. And if you're going out to work with all kids who can find out about the world around them in that particular way and apply that as their way of interacting, you know, science is a bullshit detector. That is the main thing that it's there for. And that's why everybody has to learn it because otherwise we're. we're uh, doomed. <laughs> doomed, yes. Um, um, and I think that's what they're achieving through this. Ludic, as I put in a tweet, you know, the ludic stuff brings them, brings the kids to the yard, but it's the and their life. But it's the frugal stuff that means that it can carry on going, uh, and without extra money. So you need those things in combination to make sure that you're drawing everybody in, really. Yeah. Can I share my thing yeah. that's jumped out at me so far? Okay, yeah. It's just so uh, when I rocked up, uh, Mark and I sat with uh, colleague Andrew uh, from the Open University uh, and fa- totally failed to mingle, basically, uh, on arrival. Um, at least I failed to mingle on arrival. Mark had already mingled. You're a mingler. Yeah. But um, yeah, sat down, uh, sort of set myself the challenge of sitting down with some people I didn't know um, halfway through and just amazed, A, by the breadth of practice, so just the different directions that everybody's coming from. Sat down this wonderful table of people who are kind of, you know, PhD students, researchers, uh, sort of conference and um, professionals around gamification and things like that. Amazing. Hulup instructors and teachers. But yeah, just the, the and this is going to sound really uh, pretentious, but bear with, it's that united interest in the application of play and fun and engagement in learning. Um, and yeah, it's just always really nice. I suppose I don't get out into the education community often enough, and it's just nice to 
um, re to connect with people um, on those universal not universal on those shared interests. Um, I think one of the things about being in academic development is that you are butting heads a lot of the time with people who aren't really interested in those principles of education and it can feel quite wearing in a lot of ways and so that's why I've always really valued conferences about education, about, you know, particularly when I was uh, specifically education and technology, was you'd feel like a lone voice most of the time and you'd come to somewhere where everybody got it and it's incredibly rejuvenating hmm. and re-energising and I always come away from conferences with a whole extra bunch of ideas, extra contacts as well. Um, I mean, today we were asked to actually establish a community on our tables. Yeah, that was such a fun activity. Yeah. I'm absolutely going to use that with academic teams going forward. It's such a, it's, it's a great icebreaker, but also such a good way to bring people together, to get yeah. people on the same page. And also give them a page of stuff to go off and do, mm. and go off and do together. So I worked with uh, two of the people at my table, uh, LARPers, and then I've done some online role play. But then as we were talking to the other people, it's like, well, we all role play. You know, they, the way I mingle is not, I can't uh, mark, me, Mark, can't go me, out. Mike. Me, Mike. Me, Mike. You, no, you no, Mark. No. Me, Mike. Me, me as Mark can't go out as, me, the real me, can't mingle. I have no skills. I, I am so um, shy, basically, social, not social anxiety, but socially awkward. So I just sat down and go, I've, and said, you know, this is the most difficult bit of conferences for me is sitting down and talking to people and, and deconstruct exactly the awkwardness and play act, play role, role play, role play, somebody that is confident because it's not me, I'm being somebody else, but that's how I do it. And as I talked to uh, Margaret and to Mark on my table, it turned out that both of them are the same. They, they are acting when they are doing um, presentations and teaching and so that's what we're going to possibly do is look at LARP principles how do people engage in live action role play and how do we transfer some of those skills to training students to do presentations to 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 carry out um, you know to, to, to be at conferences and things it is uh, conferences are really difficult yeah yeah I just if anything I'm thinking demaskification how to be engaged in community while still being authentically shy would be something I would love to I would love to know where well, that goes I don't think you, I, I don't think it's inauthentic to put on mask no that's not quite right you know persona is a mask that's the the words the root to the word persona is something that you talk through mm. um, and so finding ways that you can be your authentic self but also inhabit somebody that's different from you well it's you know we talked about projective identity in the LARPA episode and um, I think that's where it is it's like let's if there was a Mark who was confident in conferences, what would he be like? Okay, let's play act him for a while. Um, and so that's what I do. Um, last question. Yeah. I say question, this isn't an interview. No. I... The last final thought. Mm. What cookie did you have during the cookie what break? One? What cookie did you have during the cookie break? Oh, I had the oatmeal ones twice. Oh, so good, weren't they? Yeah, they were really good. Yeah. Oatmeal and raisin with kind of a hint of orange rind. Yeah, yeah. And also I feel healthier because I haven't got chocolate in them. I had a chocolate cookie afterwards. Oh, yeah, I should have done that. 
but no, they, they, were, they were really good. Yeah, yeah. Co Coventry's cookie and coffee game is uh, absolutely <laughs> top notch. OU, take note. Oh, the, uh, you can't fault the OU for the cake. OU cake is good. The cake, the cake in the, the hub was just brilliant. Mm. It was the thing I missed most about leaving the Open University. <laughs> 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 Uh, apart from your own good self, Michael. I mean, if uh, if people people services are listening to this, uh, maybe your staff <laughs> retention strategy should include a bit more cake. <laughs> At this point, uh, topping up my coffee with quite shaking hands because I had too much coffee and was putting more coffee in myself, I happened once more across uh, Sylvester, otherwise known as Sly, to pretty much everybody there, and uh, yeah, just got his take on how the day was going. So, um, what's been the big highlight for you so far today? Today, today I think the highlight is seeing people from different walks of life, from different backgrounds, different different disciplines, having a chat, and continuing to chat during lunch, which is quite rare in, 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 in some conferences where they are still talking about the topic that we have been covering for the whole day. Um, so people are trying to see how they can actually work together. I find it quite encouraging to see people wanting to work together and having sort of like an action plan. It's like after this conference we will have a chat about this and we might want to apply for funding or we might, we might want to do something in the community. And one, one of the other highlights that I think I will, I will mention is the fact that all of us at Coventry University are not really sure whether do we have an outreach unit. Yeah. So all of us were having a chat with each other today say, who, who do we speak to? Because all of us are doing outreach, but separately I was in our say, unit. I felt like I assumed that you were the outreach unit, Sylvester, and that you seem to just go around <laughs> with a big net collecting interesting education people. We are, we, we are doing that, but uh, the thing is we need to know, uh, is there like a formal route through the university so that we can get more support other staff who are not able to really spend a lot of time doing outreach work. We are quite lucky that we are able to do it. Um, so that they can be given the opportunity to do it because I know that some people are interested too, but time time is, is an issue. Um, then again, today we talk about frugal. Frugal is not just about money, mm. but frugal is also about how can we keep things simple? How can we provide a space for people to really discover new things without having to worry about time, money, you know, resources, so on and so forth. How do we leverage existing stuff or existing connection that we have, existing communities? A little bit on frugal there, and uh, that's something we'll return to a little bit later. But yeah, another interesting little uh, nugget of learning from the day. But we'll return to that at the end of the day. Next up in the agenda, about 2.30 in the afternoon now, everybody quietly digesting their lunch, we had a lovely, inspiring talk from Anthony Luvera, uh, talking about agency, representation and community. And photos. There were some great photos. But here he is. But over the past 20 years, I've worked with individuals and groups of people, inviting them to collaborate with me to speak out about their lives, experiences and the things they're interested in. Throughout this time, I've worked with a wide range of people, including individuals with experiences of mental health issues, people with addiction problems, homeless people or individuals who have experienced homelessness, children from lower socioeconomic households, and people who identify as LGBTQ+. The way that I work is participatory, collaborative, and socially engaged. That is, I'm invested in co-production, facilitation, 
pedagogy and collaboration. So in his, uh, in his talk, um, Anthony's obviously demonstrating his own work as an agent of change. And just as a side note, he's got one of those really lovely, soft, calm voices that seems to be an occupational requirement or, or maybe a hazard of uh, photography. And yeah, he's just riffing on the theme of the day um, and takes us through a frankly beautiful um, set of social photography projects, I suppose is what you call them, um, and how he's drawn the communities into them. And yeah, really used those to push for change um, in perceptions of agency, representation and homelessness. But anyway, he says it much better. Back to him. The drive that propels all of my work is to use the skills and resources I'm able to access and organise to shake up preconceptions, and in doing so, to lobby for change by critically inquiring into issues of access, power, representation, and social justice. At the heart of what I do is an ambition to work with people who are overly spoken for, to speak out about their experiences and the systems and services that shape their everyday lives. So underpinning my practice is an attempt to recalibrate the relationship between a photographer and a subject by inviting participants to take part in the process of facilitation, pedagogy, dialogue, and co-creation. The methodologies I employ are informed by visual research methods used in the social sciences, including autophotography, secondary data and archival study, image elicitation interviews, focus groups, and expressive data collection. The conceptual inquiry, theoretical grounding, and pedagogical impulse of my practice is informed by the writings and practices of anthropologists and sociologists, such as Johann Fabian and Norbert Elias, as well as techniques developed by theatre practitioners, such as Augusto Boal, and the social design work of performance artists, such as Lois Weaver, as well as approaches to radical education developed by Paolo Freire, Ivan Illich, and Bell Hooks. And in particular, Freire's model of education, a dialogical practice that seeks to enable critical consciousness by uncovering the systems and processes that normalize exclusion and oppression, has continued to drive one of the questions that has remained central to my practice for 20 years. That is, how can a photographer address the power imbalance between them and the people they represent? So each project that I create brings together multiple voices to express narratives about the lived experiences of the participants and to present information about the process of our working together. And the process I facilitate when working with participants encompasses a range of activities, from the development of skills to enable the elicitation of information and responses in relation to a specific issue, through to community organizing and social action. Critical reflection on the progression and culmination of this process informs the methods of inquiry and presentation strategies that I bring to future collaborations and the creation of new work. And a significant thread running throughout my practice is the long-term collaborative projects created with people who have experienced homelessness in cities and towns across the United Kingdom, in places such as Belfast, Birmingham, Brighton, Colchester, Coventry, Manchester, and in boroughs all over London. I've worked with hundreds of people, and through this process, I've collated thousands of photographs, video, sound recordings, and other pieces of ephemera created by participants that express their points of view and visualize experiences of some of the most marginalized people in society. 
once again, it's community. It's community that gives his work so much weight. He goes on later in the talk, which by the way, I do have a full recording of, if anybody would like a copy, um, to give us some examples. And the thing that really unifies them is that he connects genuine human stories and faces um, with the issues that he and the communities are trying to make more visible. It's really lovely and uh, some beautiful photography to go with it, which I'm conscious does not, with a podcast, um, yeah, go well. I could tell you about the photos, I suppose. I mean, there were some really pretty ones. There were some... It's probably a futile effort on my part, to be honest. Go over to uh, Anthony's website. It's got a website of his work. I uh, encourage you to check it out. It's Luvera, L-U-V-E-R-A dot com. And uh, yeah, that'll do a much better job than me trying to do it with words and your ears. Our last group activity of the day after Anthony's talk was led by Luca Marini, uh, who you may remember from some of the playful learning shorts that we had earlier in the year of 2022, not earlier this year. I think that games are a good language to discuss uh, systems, uh, complex systems, dynamic systems. Uh, they have some elements that are in common with, with the formal study of systems, like loose feedback loops, uh, design, goals. Let's start with rules. Let's have a bit of a think about rules. And let's have a bit of a think about rules by going back to what you discussed today in, uh, in your small groups. So the first activity is to think about the rules that you encounter every day. So think about every rule you have seen written, spoken, or implied today. Anthony made an important point about the fact that even the tables, they are orientated at looking at me, not really at talking with each other. That is a rule for this room. It's a rule that we can ignore, but it's, it's, it's kind of there. Uh, so, yeah, I would just give you a few minutes, maybe just five minutes, to think about the rules that you encounter today and try and think which is the most unfair. Spoken rules of the day that I was bemoaning at this point was the rule that I'd apparently inflicted upon myself to record every moment of it. Uh, and watching the little recording time and track number thing tick up and up and up, I was thinking forwards to when I'd have to edit all of this together and how very, very long it would take. Okay, let's, let's go. Who has something particularly unfair that you want to share? And I will say lots of people talked about sitting down and shutting up. <laughs> And that was it for the day's activities. We were treated to a couple of closing talks, uh, including a, a wee send-off for the Disruptive Media Learning Lab. Then, yeah, everybody had a good old mill around, a chat, and, critically, uh, a beer or glass of wine, which was very much appreciated at the end of the day. Glass of wine in hand, I found Mark, and then we sat down together with Alex and Sylvester to talk about the day, disruptive media, and frugal education. Uh, okay, so we are sat down at the end of uh, Remix Play uh, 5. It is. Um, I've got a lovely glass of wine. In fact, hang on, I, this, this, weirdly, this is how I actually open my other podcast. It's, hi, I'm Mike Collins, and I'm drinking a glass of Barefoot Red Wine. And I'm joined by... <laughs> Cheers. I'm joined by... Uh, introduce yourself oh. and what you're drinking. I'm Sylvester, and I'm drinking rosé wine. It's a bit sweet. I prefer it dry. Okay, my name is Alex Masters, and I'm drinking uh, a nice Bex. Oh, not that nice of X, but it'll do. <laughs> and Mark is just off mic, but can lean in. And I'm drinking Sprite. 
<laughs> He's a good boy. Yeah. I've got to drive. Mark has a four-hour drive ahead of him. Ooh. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. This is going to be quite a long clip, by the way, but bear with it. It's just, it's so packed full of juicy goodness. I mean, uh, Alex and Sylvester really go into frugal, uh, talk about planning a, a kind of an inclusive and accessible conference. There's, there's some really, really good stuff in here. Uh, so, yeah, this will be probably the longest clip in the whole conference in a pod, but uh, it's, it's super worth it. So, uh, masterminds of today's uh, conference, as indicated by your shiny white polo shirts yes. with yeah. uh, all the branding on. <laughs> Very kind. Um, so, I've got two things I want to ask. First, how would you feel today's gone? Yeah, how's today been for you? Brilliant, as always. Yeah. Love it. And as, as we say, this is like, like play. So it doesn't have to be perfect. But uh, as long as people are enjoying themselves and they learn something from today and they will take something away that is going to inspire them. I think that's perfect for us. Yeah, it's been a great uh, sort of narrative arc from the original remix play. As you mentioned, this is the fifth version of that and some of those were hybrid because of the pandemic. So really from the introduction of the concepts of play and education all the way through to taking that into sort of the community and taking it past the educational aspect and how can you, you know, enact positive change using what your sort of hidden skills and talents are that you maybe don't display in your professional life but could be used within your professional life or within sort of a crowdsourced problem solving yeah and the crowdsourced element i think is um the bit that's really struck me today actually in that um using play as a mechanism to build the community and then using the community as the uh the lever on the change that you're trying to make you've created this really wonderful and eclectic community um in this how has that coalesced how has that come together Um, slow and steady really isn't it yeah I, i think it's quite uh natural really i think is sort of aligning with our interest in addressing various challenges which have led to the different communities whom we are engaging with from universities to schools um to ngos to the actual community themselves i think it's a natural progression from addressing a challenge and an opportunity that, that, that we've seen that has led us to this stage really I think it's testament to patience as well and discipline. Mm. Like we started working on game changers back in 2015, uh, so it feels like it's really quick. Like mm. this is kind of mm. built up very fast, but it's been a very slow and steady progression over the years. And, you know, one one project leads to another, and we meet more people. And as uh, one of our guests mentioned earlier, it's not about the number of people you have in a room. It's, it's the quality. A, it's the quality, exactly. <laughs> the quality. So you meet that one person that sort of changes your, your perspective and, uh, and that sort of hits home, and then that person then passes that on. It's that pay-it-forward sort of mentality and game changers over the last, sort of, what is it, nearly eight years, seven years, mm. maybe? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, um, been a long time. Has grown through that sort of word of mouth and um, examples uh, used by different academics and, and practitioners. And it might sound cheesy, but when we first started the whole thing, we said the game changes. It's not a project, it's not an initiative, it's a movement. Um, it is a progression. Uh, it is not a one size fits all. It's all about um, running with communities whom we are with at that particular time. Yeah. So, so it changed direction, but one, there are two things that are, that are constant, the playfulness and the frugal yeah. in every single thing that we do because we believe that um, we need to reduce the barrier 
to actually using play in in anything really. So frugal approaches which you yeah. have actually worked on for the past few years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I'd really like yeah. to know actually more about frugal approaches because it's a concept I'd not heard articulated mm. like this before. Mm. But as soon as it was basically as soon as I heard it today I thought, ah ah mm. yes this, this, right this crystallizes yes. and condenses <laughs> um, a big factor um, yeah. of playfulness and well just kind of a, a sentiment in education. So yeah what what's meant by frugal in this context? Well, Ironically, it started in a place that's really well-funded. So we had the Innovation Lab, the Disruptive Media Learning Lab, and we, you know, we were not short of money. We had a, a large budget um, for delivering new innovation projects. But one of the things that happens in a large institution is there's a lot of processes and bureaucracy involved in, in, in allocating funds, applying that to a project, getting buy-in, and, and, and then delivering on that. So what we ended up doing a lot was just going, you know what, let's just build this quickly with whatever we have don't we don't want budget it's that hard to use it but let's just forget forget it altogether so um it was really about delivering rapid prototyping so i i'd been interested in the, the sprint methodology which is something that came from google ventures um, and this was this came out before the lab started but then came out as a book in the sort of first year or so of our uh, time in the, in the innovation lab and we use those approaches to build projects. So we would rapidly build a project, test it out, see how it went, and then iterate on that very quickly. But by doing that, you, you, you kind of, as we talked about today, like working around the rules. Because there was not a lot of investment in it, it didn't feel like you uh, had to deliver at a really high level because of how much was invested. It took a lot of the risk away. And we were already in a privileged position that we were allowed to make take risks. But um, this still was difficult because of like I say budget allocation and time and people um, so that frugal approach became part of our project design um, and I'd sort of talked about applying it more in, in the, our game changers uh, pr approach uh, we worked in Malaysia part of a creative culture project so we were working in rural Borneo and in that scenario we didn't have a lot of time and a lot of money we were going on two planes and a boat into the middle of nowhere it was like 24 hours yeah. from everybody it was um, great though and uh, <laughs> we had power in the day because of the sun uh, we had satellite internet which was very very sketchy so we had to take a kind of playful approach into this very rural setting and apply that with limited yeah. resources so that was incredibly impactful so we kept taking that further and you know we were on, felt like we were onto something and over the last few years exactly, that's just yeah. become a real yeah. in, integral part of our, our project work and one thing as well which is interesting because the word frugal was not used then um, but what we have done for, the, for so many years is very much frugal principles and, 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 and the fact that it's all about the needs. It's all about trying to actually achieve what we want to achieve within that particular context um, that help us to be more simple in the approach. So we always use this um, phrase, K-I-S-S, KISS, keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid, quote-unquote, type thing. So that sort of helps us to really think about how do we do something with the, 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 the most impact but with the least amount of effort type, type thing. And then Alex was actually doing research on the approach that we are using, and he realized actually this is actually frugal methodology, and you came up with the uh, frugal education principles. Yeah, as a yeah. concept. Um, mm. 
It was one of these things where I hadn't really thought about going into research. I said, oh, if something kind of pops up and I'm in interested in it, maybe I'll, I'll go that way. And, and it just sort of naturally fell together. It was like, well, this is the stuff I'm passionate about. My previous experience comes from working freelance uh, and working in sort of in a rapid prototyping area. And, and the frugal side of it has always been close to my heart. So then thought, okay, that's one of my skill sets, like today's event. What are your secret agents of change skills? So, well, that's something I'm really passionate about. How do I apply that in this setting? Um, and I started to approach people about it at university, and it was funny because people kind of well, frugal. I mean, I think it's about cost, about being cheap. And, it's, and you have to kind of reset people's mindset and say it's not about the cost in a money sense only. It's about cost of resources. So whether that's time, people, money, uh, and, and materials. Um, and what that... The funny thing about that was that this was just a little bit before the pandemic. It was about late 2008. Um, and it wasn't really on people's minds. Then, cut to like 18 months later, and everything, you know, stops. And all of a sudden, everyone's talking about it. Like, huge uh, Western universities with a huge budgets. All of a sudden, they're all saying, we need to do more with less. You know, we've got this huge time constraint. We've got this huge resource constraint. How do we continue to deliver? And then with the cost of the pandemic and how that's impacted student enrolments and stuff, the budget starts to shrink. And now everyone is saying, okay, how do we think more sustainably? Um, but, you know, there's people in different countries who have been doing trying to tackle this for many years mm. um, and have a different outlook to the UK. But all of a sudden we're on a bit of a level playing field. Such a lovely thing, though, with the focus being on the outcome rather than necessarily the steps to get there. Yeah. I mean, it's that same thing of, you know, you go, oh, do you know, I'm going to make a gamified learning experience of this thing. Mm. Mm. And the difference between going, OK, time to get some developers in and we'll make an actual video game that people play and going wow, actually people are going to get the same benefit from, we'll just get them in a group and we'll give them this little thought experiment activity. Yeah. And their imaginations are going to do a much better job than the cobbled together, probably late flash thing that we make um, £20,000 and six months down the line. Um, I mean, actually, I think this conference itself is a beautiful representation of the frugal ethos as well. I mean, it's been mm. very considerate of people's time. It's a one-day wonder, which you don't get a lot of conferences mm. that are yeah. this good mm. and that are one day, mm. so you can be home in time for tea. Yep. You don't necessarily need to What's stay that? over. All the best activities today have been people yeah. speaking and just, like, table activities yes. and things. There's been, like, toys of pipe cleaner and Lego and just things on the table. Stuff. Just, you know, random, random guff. I mean, I'll be honest, though, I mean, the, the high production value of the microphones and in particularly the foam cube microphone oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, I was going to mention that at the end but there's something so playful about that and yeah, so yeah. inclusive mm. I mean Emily said it at, yeah. towards yeah. the end of, but yeah, I was did. just thinking mate this is a really important thing yeah, I, I think every conference that the whole formality of handing the that makes the barrier right that makes the barrier throw it yeah. at someone yeah. and maybe hit them on the head and it mm. doesn't matter <laughs> it's just yeah it's I mean, we need more things like that, I think, mm. to open it up. But mm. just as an essential part of any conference, mm. um, the Catch Cube yeah. is it's just a genius idea. Yeah. It Does it make people want to ask more questions because they want to use the cube as well? It made me want There's to. There's a paper yeah. there, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> it's, wonder, it's such a wonderful thing. I'll be honest with you. There's a good. You, you need to keep a good eye on that because I might walk out with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's also, right. We've got you on the uh, tape now. <laughs> but also, you don't have to have somebody formally walking over to somebody and handing it and then taking it back. The next person yeah. hands it on, and there's a that yeah. makes it more inclusive because it yeah. breaks down that barrier between yeah. the chair organising it and the yeah. people yeah. 
res yeah. responding yeah. With, with things. But, but one thing that I learned today as well, which was actually quite quite good, I didn't even think about it, even though I, I believe in it in terms of play. You know, play is both about participation and non-participation, so you have to encourage both. If people don't want to participate, it's fine. They can yeah. observe and they might want to participate like, after, but we didn't think of that in the way that we set things up. Every single table has got everything. Every single 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 table have got um, stuff on it. We didn't we didn't leave one table empty. Someone was saying that because there were one of our participants, um, she she has autism, mm. so she said that she 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 doesn't she, she feels inti intimidated seeing a lot of stuff on her desk. So we didn't oh, okay. we didn't think about it. So. One thing that we, we really need, need to work on is accessibility. Yeah. I think that's, that is one thing that I learned about today is trying to understand more about how do you connect with people from different backgrounds, even more mm. diverse that we normally have. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's uh, just an empty table. Would, yeah, you know, exactly. Sit on if they feel more comfortable with exactly, that. Exactly. Oh, I yeah. like that. The sh oh, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'd sit on the shy person's table. Oh well, I wasn't. So, I didn't mean necessarily shy, but but like, if you're, <laughs> but if you're there's a quiet table, the quiet yeah. table, the quiet yeah. table, as much yeah. as anything, because it's easier to record on a quiet table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, <laughs> but then you were talking, so you know, there's a sense by which yes, there's a accommodate people's differences, but also Draw people encourage out them out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Alex, no, you were going to say no, something. It's, it, 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 yeah. I mean, it's always a it's always a very, a very difficult balance. You know, on one yeah. hand, someone's coming over and complaining, we can't hear, and yeah. then someone else. Two minutes late, it's coming over and saying it's too loud. So, you know, you're always trying to balance these things out. And, and like as yeah. Sylvester said, we, we learn each time and, and find new, yeah. new techniques. Like, uh, it's funny, uh, you'd be amazed how having an empty table or having an empty room is, is, is the solution. Like, the, so again, back to the frugal thing, what we, one of the, a great example that I, I talk about a lot is in the Arts and Humanities building here at Coventry, there was a, was a time when you'd walk through the corridor and there'd be all these students working in the corridor. And then next to them was a room that was empty. We were saying, what are you doing on the floor? And they said, well, that, that's great and all, but it's, it's unusable. So that whole space was just rows of desks with IMAX on. Wonderful, great for pictures, you know, everyone loves to see it. It's what draws students in, supposedly. Um, but what actually happens as a second order effect of that is all the students find a new place to work, and that's in the corridor, and that Mac room is uh, completely empty because it's only a single purpose space. So it's really, what we try and say is like, again, keep it simple. Take it back to first principles. What do you actually need to do dynamic and engaging teaching? Maybe nothing in the space is the answer and then you can bring things in. And we talk about that with a lot of things we do. About accessibility, for yeah. example, if we've got all this whiz-bang technology, that, that creates barriers for accessibility. If you bring in pen and paper, a bit of Lego, Things from your bag, things you found, you know, in, in uh, natural resources. In your, if you're in certain countries where you you might uh, be in a rural setting, those things actually become novelty, and they they attract uh, interest and, and uh, sort of engagement in a yeah. way that people think, like, oh, let's bring all the high tech stuff in, exactly. and that will get them involved. Exactly. No, it turns out if you bring old tech and retro stuff, and you know, mm. if you bring an old console in, that engages them in a different way. Yeah, Th there's something that is interesting that is. That, that is happening now is about bringing your own stuff as part of your learning process sort of thing something that you that, that, that will help you to understand more about a certain concept get them to think about it bring 
bring them into into the classroom so everyone are more diverse in terms of the different types of materials they use and that sort of represent your personality because we love to represent our own personality even when we had this session today people were drawing on their mask putting stuff in and people are proud of having something that personalized to their, their own needs so that is one thing that we are doing in essas which is the project that we're talking about today which is all about uh, play frugal and social resilience it's all about using loose materials um, that will enable teachers and students to learn in a more frugal and playful way. So the materials are basically materials that they actually collect from like, household materials, materials from the forest type thing, put it in the box, they use that to learn. And they find it interesting because they say, oh, this is actually something that I found in my backyard. So this, you know, I've got a sense for ownership in the process. So that's what we want to really encourage people to do not think about high th- of course learning technology is important but before we learn something that is more sophisticated we need to onboard them making sure that they are comfortable they're in a safe space then they, w- they are able to level up it's like it's like a game it's like you need, yeah. you need to well, level I mean, up yeah with the old pedagogy goggles on i'm hearing kind of uh, a bit of the old both constructionism and constructivism at yes. work of bringing mm-hmm. stuff to constrain, to create and construct with, yeah. once you're in that space. But you're bringing things from your own context as well, so you're linking what you're learning now, what you're learning in the future, to things that are already within your current schemas of understanding now. Yeah. Am I making a neurobiological jump there? With no, that? no, that's absolutely <laughs> right. But I think the thing that came out differently, because I think you kind of tend to do that at conferences, is build on what you've got. Yeah. Before, yeah. but but within a very specific schema, which is this is my discipline, mm-hmm. this is my background, this is my research. These are my people. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, these are, well, that that is what makes them great and comfortable is because it's like it's all e-learning technologists or whatever. But what was different here was to change the schema mm-hmm. to being the stuff that is outside your discipline. Mm-hmm. It's the LARPing. Or it's yes. the podcasting, yes. or yes. it's the whatever, yeah. and bringing that in. So it's yeah. expanding that schema exactly. to bring in the whole authentic person. Yeah. And what is there in that that's interesting? And that that's a completely different take than anything I've yeah. really that, seen that, that before. Really, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've yeah. done ga- we've done game. I mean, the playful learning. We're yeah. talking about what games do you play? Yeah. But it's a playful learning conference, yes. so it's going to be about the games yeah. that you yeah, play. Exactly. Play. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas this was, you know, what's, your, what's your authentic self? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else can you bring? What else do you do? Yeah. You know, are you you know yeah. you're the what guy or you're the yeah. you know the, the what else? Yeah. 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 Some people might say that I'm the same at work as I'm at home. That is fine, yeah. right? But some people might say, oh, actually, I'm quite good at this. But I, I didn't actually know that it is important. Oh, God, it's so important. Yes. Yeah. It's who you are is important, and what you're interested in is going to, in a way, connect you with another person with the same interest, or perhaps a community who might need that certain skills. Mm. Like you like to fix bikes, yeah. and there's something that you are looking to contribute towards the community. Kids can just come to you and then say, "Can you teach me how to fix bikes?" Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. find old bikes and essentially repurpose them and give them away, sort of thing. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, it sounds great. I haven't done it, so I'm not going to take any credit for it. But it was an idea we were talking about, you know, in response to the ideas of, of today's event. Um, <laughs> just on that quickly, you you cook a lot, but yeah. you don't tend to bring it to work. So we need to work <laughs> on that. Yeah. Well, I did invite you to come one day, and you said you're busy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but I do I do cook a lot, and that sort of stemmed from my love for play. Anyway, I love I love playing with stuff. 
cooking is playing. I love playing with ingredients, whether whether it's going to work or not. I don't really care. It's that if it doesn't work, that it's in the bin. If it's if it's working, then that is something that, that I can actually share with someone else. Say, this works, don't do what I did previously. So I learned from making mistakes and I will create something that I will remember and something that another person can actually recreate re, re as well. And seeing people whom I've taught online, they are now masters of Asian cooking. They kept on sending me pictures of some random <laughs> fried rice they have done or some chicken rendang or something like that. Oh my God, rendang. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I said, oh my God, yo, you're even much better than me now. <laughs> I mean, this is create breeds uh, sorry, constraint breeds creativity. Uh, so yeah. for you, it's the yeah. cooking. What do you create from that? What new ideas might come of, of yeah. the constraints yeah. you have with the ingredients you yeah. have? Yeah. Same here. If we talk about what, what are your skills, how can you apply them in, in the community? What you might consider to be not, not good for your work environment, your skills, actually could be leveraged in a really powerful way. And we talk about this when we talk about the frugal approach and saying, People always come to you and say, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the people. And actually, we turn around and say, you've got an abundance of everything there. You just need to like, turn that into an opportunity um, and leverage your available resources. And the way to do that is through community. I think that's the yes. big, been the yes. big thing for me today is that I think a lot of the time you, you can have a big idea and you can be frustrated that you can't bang it into reality. But actually when you've got a community of people who are on board with it and can bring their own expertise and their own authentic selves into it, then suddenly it becomes a much more realistic task. I'm conscious, by the way, Alex, yeah. that you've been fending people off with a spiky stick. No, it's fine. Um, I think they just want more booze. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, ignore them. This is more important. Okay. No. <laughs> well, I, would, I, I was just going to interpose on something that Sylvester said there, which was about the cooking and about mm. trying stuff out and then was it Was it about the chicken it. rendang? I'm yes, it very, was. I'm it was almost. But yeah, it was, Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> It's not just to recreate it, but also to remix it. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Oh man! And I've just worked out. That's why it's right. called remix. I hadn't. Now you know. Now you know. Now you know. Exactly. It's taking exactly. your own oh my God. skills and putting context. them in a different You're environment. Giving me goosebumps. Context. Seriously. <laughs> oh, he really has as well. Yeah, goosebumps. <gasps> goosebumps. I, I love it when someone gets it. That's why remix. Yeah. It's going to be such a shame. If it wasn't a lapel mic, I would drop it. Oh, oh, brilliant, okay. brilliant. Ah, oh, good. Okay, I've got one, I've got one more question um, for you both, which is um, uh, one of the big parts of uh, playful learning in general is, is essentially the experiential learning in a situation. It's working out what went right, what went wrong. What are you going to do different for Remix Play 6? What's, uh, what's right oh, for Remix Play 6? We've been talking about this a lot mm. recently. I'll let you. Okay. I'll let, let you. Oh, reveal, reveal. We were, we were talking about oh, maybe... God. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, listeners... Uh, oh, is that not what you want? Listeners can't see. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me put that back on. Um, <laughs> no, what we were talking about was maybe, as I said, we had a narrative arc from the beginning to now, and we feel like we've maybe put a bow in it now and sort of finished that, and we're, we're looking at maybe expanding into more compressed, uh, specific workshops where we solve problems as a group maybe something like that rather than bringing lots of people together um, that also lends itself to be more sustainable we can maybe develop resources for others to do the same thing it's a teacher teach someone to fish rather than giving them a fish sort of so to speak um, so we're, we're talking about that we're going to play with a yeah. few ideas where it's more sort of mission or yes project based, based sort of approach something the challenge that we really feel strongly about 
bring everyone to anyone who is interested to be involved in solving this problem. Let's come together, and that is going to be remix play, and then we can put a showcase or like um, you know, like a festival together. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is the model of Aces, which is one of the mm. big projects that's part of of uh, remix play and the game changers movement, I guess. Mm. Uh, Aces, yeah. what is it? What? Say it. Your turn to be on the spot. What, what was it? What is it? Aces? Uh, community um, centered educational approach for social resilience. Nicely done. So part of that was a model that we came up with through a three-year international research project, and it is about that community coming together to, to build projects to solve a problem, and it is all about co-creation. And now, now that you've built the community, now it's time to solve problems. Amen. I love Amen. that. I absolutely love that. Yes. It's, it's, it's been like the remix plays one to five have been yeah. like the introduction. Oh, yeah. And now yeah. it's the time. beginning of the beginning. End it, of the beginning. The starter. Yeah. And you can have the exclusive... <laughs> oh my lord oh wow I'll, I'll take this straight to my editor <laughs> other Mike <laughs> that's amazing um, so unless do you guys have anything you want to plug or anything before I wrap us up because I'm conscious absolutely that yeah always plug something <laughs> that's what it's all about in which case plug one thing oh one thing each one thing each okay yeah. okay we have some handbook from Asus that we are going to release and it is going to present all the principles and the values and the practical approach that anyone can start their own project for addressing resilience in the community through play and co-creation. Great. When, when's this releasing? Um, hopefully by mid February or end of February. Okay, so probably before this episode then. So yes. there'll be a link to it in the show notes based on how I slow I am so. at editing. I yes, so, yeah. it'll be on the yeah. uh, Game Changers website and the yeah. Aces website. So. Yeah. Um, and and so for us, it would be, for me, Frugal Education. So go to frugal.education, hit enter in your browser, uh, and that's a website talking about this whole concept. Um, so it's the research around it and the idea of it, so you can learn a bit more. There's also some resources you can download. There's a set of uh, Frugal Education action cards, which give you a whole host of considerations based on three principles, which are design with an open mind, uh, leverage available resources and build at the speed of need. So using these three principles, there's a whole bunch of aspects aligned with those which you can use to have uh, an impact on your sustainable, creative and practical education design. So that's not just a sustainable in an environmental way, but in a practical way, as we talked about a lot today. Alex Sylvester, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much so for the conference. It's been brilliant. I've had a great time. I've met some wonderful people and had an opportunity to talk to yourselves. Um, if people it's, want to find out more... It's been a game changer. <laughs> oh, yeah, boom. If people want to find out Mic more... Um, Can you add again, I've flipped like the microphones onto them, so yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. they're on the Valio mics. It's not, hard, it's not easy to drop the mic. Um, if people want to find out more about uh, Remix Play or any of the uh, programmer outputs for today, where do they go? Go to gchanges.org. gchanges.org. Yeah. Cool. Thanks very much for listening. We're all going to probably go and, well, I see two people who might go and get another drink. Yes. Just <laughs> in my cool. Thanks ever so much. Excellent. And that was the end of the day. Although you'd be forgiven for thinking that it wasn't because uh, just about everybody was sticking around and having a chat and, uh, yeah, networking and having a beer and just generally having a nice time. I nabbed a fellow OU colleague, Andrew McDermott, from the, uh, the OU's learning innovation team just to get his uh, his take on and uh, takeaways from the day. Okay, so uh, we've just had our glass of wine. Those were having our glass of wine uh, at the end of the conference. Um, Andrew, what's stuck with you today? 
two things in particular. Uh, so Margaret Lowe's um, talk this morning, uh, and particularly the comment around diverse teams. Yeah. A, a diversity in a team and everyone having a difference of opinion coming from a different place and you come up with different ideas. Uh, it's no good trying to play and be innovative, be creative um, if you're all coming from the same space with the same needs. So that stuck out. And then Anthony Rivera's talk this afternoon just resonated because he doesn't just talk about agency. He's right in there. Demonstrating it. Forcing it onto the agenda. He's putting himself in a position for a year before he even begins. So if we're talking about user needs, understanding users' desires, what, does, what, what, does people, what do people want? What do they require? doesn't just put a survey out he's front and center of that in person 24 7 for a year that's incredible yeah so yeah that's the they're the two highlights for me um but in general it's just been it's just been a really good reminder about the importance of not being too rigid Mm. being willing to experiment um be creative take risks um i like lucas at the end because it follows my ideology don't follow the rules yeah. <laughs> which rules which rules aren't really rules uh, he stole my uh, quote about the traffic lights though uh, the traffic lights in Italy are advisory oh. um, I've been told that multiple times by various <laughs> Italians that I know um, so yeah um, anything that advocates looking at things in a different light and not being bound by restrictions always stands out and with that I sloped off into Coventry city centre to find some, quite frankly, excellent pizza with Mark and just have a little ruminate on the day and what I've taken away from it. So it's a theme that's come up a few times today. The first one was uh, community, the importance of community. It's something I've come back to time and time again. The thing that really pulled me along today was just it's finally cemented my understanding of how important community is in any kind of change endeavour say I'm not uh, some sort of change practice manager or anything like that but um, yeah just the place of community within educational change within education and change if that makes sense I think other people today have probably expressed it better another thing was uh, frugal frugal education what a beautiful beautiful concept and just yeah doing as much as you can with you know not as little as you can but keeping it simple which sometimes harder than it sounds particularly when like me, you work in distance learning, were positively tripping over bells and whistles. So that was a that was a lovely thing to come away with. Come away as well with having just met some fantastic, interesting people, had some wonderful conversations, and uh, will no doubt follow up some of them. I think in the uh, in the near future, both with this podcast and uh, perhaps uh, in other avenues. And finally, I think just a reflection on how to put together a good conference. So um, Andrew and I talked about this a little bit at the end of the day as well. But yeah, the uh, the aspects, the elements of a good con- uh, conference, and uh, that frugality comes in again. You know, it's basically just uh, it was just a room with some tables and some bits and pieces to fiddle with, and enough calories and caffeine to keep everybody um, energized throughout the day. And I think if you've got a good theme and a good bunch of people and some good activities planned out, that's really all you need. You don't need all the all the bells, the whistles. You don't need uh, VR headsets and robots or one of the things I, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't get to go to, uh, to a lot of conferences, but I imagine there are there are lots of bells and robots at uh, glitzy conferences, maybe like tech conferences, maybe Facebook have robots at their uh, their conferences. Do they have a, do they have a conference? Anyway, but yeah, just, uh, it doesn't take a lot to make a really good conference. 
in material terms. What it does take a lot of is uh, good people, um, good ideas, a good cheer, and, uh, and a whole lot of heart. But yeah, so that was my my other takeaway from the day. So with that, I bring this to a close. I'll, I'll leave you now, just as Marcus and I are wiping the pizza crumbs out of our beards and wandering off into the night in search of our cars in my case on the other side of Coventry okay so uh, we've just had a spot of dinner after uh, remix play um, just sitting outside well standing outside we're out to part ways Mark and I I know a well a fond farewell yeah see you next conference yeah hopefully or maybe hopefully before that because the next one's playful learning I guess in July yeah Oh, is it July? Oh, that's not that far off then. Yeah. Okay. I'll right. see you then, dude. All right then. Okay. Bye. See you, buddy. Bye <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye, Mark. That's it. That's the whole kit and caboodle. And congrats if you made it this far. If you'd like to subscribe to us, you can do that on all of your favourite apps, feeds, iTunes, and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. If you'd like to find out more about um, game changers, remix play, or frugal education, any of that good stuff, go to gchangers.org. And if you want to get in touch with us, then head on over to Twitter. We are at Pedagodzilla. Thanks for listening. See you next time.